Good morning, church. I'm not wealthy. Uh, got a little bit of short notice, but God's good. He gave me something to talk about today. And I think it's important, and uh, I think it'll be beneficial for us. <clears throat> Start out with, uh, I want you to understand, and I'm sure you do understand, that the Bible is critical. It's a critical foundation for us. It contains all that we need for understanding how we are to live in the world. It tells us who made us, why we're here, where we're going, and why the world's in such a mess. Is the world in a mess? Amen. Amen. It is in a mess. It's a revelation to us to the very thoughts of God. The Bible, you know, I, I had a hard time when I was young understanding why we even had a Bible. And then God put it in my heart to read the Bible. Had a chaplain in the Air Force tell me, ask me why I would want to do that. But when I started reading the Bible, studying the Bible, it changed my life. God's Word is alive and powerful. It's a revelation of the very thoughts of God, and yet often we reject it. We forget about it. We take it for granted. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate. Uh, that word adequate can also mean mature, says in the King James, perfect. It's a, it's a completion of things. Adequate, equipped for every good work. The Bible can equip you to live. And you notice the first phrase says, all scripture is inspired by God. Uh, many people, in fact, I would say most people look at the Bible as an inspiring book. There's a lot of nice things in there. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You make me lie down by green pastures. I love those sort of things. They're, they're sweet. They're nice. They're inspiring. Encouraging even. But this word is not inspiring in that sense. This word is inspired. And the, and the Greek, if you get into the meaning of that word, it means God breathed. God breathed the word of God. It comes from him. It's God's breath in the same sense that he took a pile of dirt and he breathed on it and it became a man. It became life. And uh, he called that life Adam. Uh, but he breathed life into him. Uh, as these verses say, all scripture, that's the Bible, is necessary to equip us with what we need for a successful life. You notice it also says it's profitable for teaching. That's what you believe. For reproof, that's showing you what's wrong in your life. For correction, that's showing you how to make the wrong right. And for training in righteousness, that's how to live right. That's what the Bible's there for. It's for us. And uh, today I want to talk about some familiar things, practical things that are good for our lives. Promises from Scripture that are meant to equip us for life. Uh, the Bible is full of promises. I've been reading the Bible for over 50 years. And it amazes me how many promises are there. According to Bible Gateway, now listen to this. According to Bible Gateway, uh, there are 5,467 promises in the Bible. Now, I don't know how they came up with that, but I kind of believe that. <clears throat> it's full of promises. Many of these promises uh, directly affect our relationship with God, our walk with Him, our success in living in today's world. 
Some of these promises are unconditional. That means God does everything to keep that promise. Some of the, them are conditional. That means we have a responsibility toward their fulfillment. And some are personal. They apply only to certain people or nations uh, and not necessarily to us. So when you, you have to be discerning as you read the promises and don't take them out of context, but there are so many promises that are for us. Uh, it's amazing thing is that through the promises of God, we can escape the corruption of the world around us and actually partake of his nature and attributes. Uh, as I was doing this study, that really, that really jumped out at me that we actually partake of God's attributes. Uh, you'll see that in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Where do you get the knowledge of God? Where do you guys get it? Do you just make it up? Do you make up your God? No, we have the scriptures to tell us what God's like. That's the knowledge. Uh, the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine, the divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. How much is left out of everything? Anybody? <laughs> Nothing. Everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, for by these, and listen to this, for by these he's granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. And that's the title of my message today, is these precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world that is in the world by lust. Uh, we actually partake of God's nature by, if, if, you are, if you've been born again, you know what it means to be a new creation. That's taken on God's nature, taken on his nature of love and compassion and forgiveness and all those things. With 5,467 promises to choose from, this could be a pretty long message. So you'll be happy to know I've narrowed it down to less than 1,000, okay? Uh, actually, I've decided only on several important ones that we can take with us today. <clears throat> the first of these promises I wanna talk about has to do with our salvation. John 3.16, you probably can quote that without even thinking. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There's a promise to us that we don't have to perish. We can have eternal life by believing in Christ. And believing doesn't just mean I, I believe he existed. It means trust. Whenever I see the word believe or, or faith, I try to recognize the background of that is putting your trust in something. So it's believing in Christ. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you notice that promise there has a negative side to it? Uh, sin pays wage, and that wage is death. If you don't have Jesus in your life, that's the payment that you're going to get in the end, eternally. And uh, with Christ, you have eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Aren't you glad you don't have to work for your salvation? If God, I said this in Sunday school this morning, God demands perfection. He demands perfection, but he doesn't require it. I'm so glad. <laughs> 
that he doesn't require perfection in me. He doesn't require it. He, he provides it in Christ. He demands it. He doesn't require it. But he meets that requirement in Christ. So how does salvation come about? The answer to that question is through repentance and faith in the gospel. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 says, Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus said that. Do you notice the repentance is in there? Uh, there's, a, there's a false gospel going around where you just believe in Jesus and God's going to bless your life. Just ask him into your heart and, and save me. You might say, forgive me of my sins, but you don't deal with your sins. You don't repent of your sins necessarily. That's a false gospel. The gospel, the real gospel demands repentance. That means you understand that you're apart from God. You're, you're lost and you need salvation and you're begging God for salvation. You have to deal with your sin. If you don't, that's not really salvation. I think there are a lot of people who think they're saved that are not because they walked an aisle, they said a prayer, but their life hadn't changed. If there's no change, there's no life. So that's just a little extra sermon there for you. What is the good news? What is the gospel? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. For I delivered it to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. In a nutshell, that's what the, the good news is. The, the word gospel, by the way, does mean good news. It's good news for us that Jesus died for our sins. He didn't come to the world and live his life and die, be buried, and be resurrected just to make our lives better. He did it because of sin. And uh, he was buried, he was raised the third day according to the scriptures. Without the resurrection, we don't have Christianity. I've said many times, if, if you could come up with the body of Christ today, the actual body of Christ, and prove to me that he was never raised from the dead, I'd give up Christianity in a heartbeat. Because this is too hard a life and too difficult and too demanding. If it isn't real, I'm better off. Well, I think Paul said it in, in Corinthians that we of all men ought to be most pitied if there's no resurrection. They ought to feel sorry for us for being so stupid. But Jesus is raised from the dead, and that's an amazing thing. That's the basis of, of our salvation. It's the basis of our life. So, uh, since it's about our sin, what is repentance? What does repentance mean when you repent from your sins? Proverbs 28, verse 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Repentance is confession and forsaking your sin. I can't put it any more simple than that. Uh, well, what is, if that's the case, what is sin? You know, this is another thing we, we, we deal with that, that can be confusing. If you ask the average person on the street if he's a good person, he'll, he'll tell you, yeah, I'm pretty good. And then and you ask him, well, have you ever sinned in your life? Well, I've never murdered anybody. I've never, uh, you know, I've never raped anybody. I've never, I don't beat my wife. Sometimes I think I ought to. I don't do it. 
uh, that's the, w the way people look at sin. But when you start asking them uh, uh, what sin really is, uh, John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 says, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. It's what is contrary to the law. God gave us the law in the Old Testament. He gave us the Ten Commandments as the, as the foundation of all the law that was, was uh, given after that. And you go to the Ten Commandments and you, you ask questions like, have you ever told a lie? Have you ever, have you ever uh, uh, coveted anything? Have you ever committed adultery? You start pointing out sins to people, they, they understand what sin really is. Those are the things we need to repent of, turn away from. And they're things that you and I commit. It's not just murder. It's, it's the lustful look that you dwell on that is sin. Those are the things that is sin. And so, what is faith? Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. Th these are verses that, to me, in my life have been really... I, call, I have a lot of life verses, and these are this is some of my life verses. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Trust in the Lord. That's what faith is, is trust. So what happens when someone experiences salvation? Uh, many of you have already experienced this. First of all, he's born spiritually. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 and 23 says, Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart, for you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. This idea of been, being born again has become a byword in the world today. They use it to apply to any change in your life. <clears throat> but rebirth is different than that. Biblical rebirth is having God's spirit, Holy Spirit, come into you and indwell you. Uh, John chapter 14, verses 15 through 18 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, and he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This was spoken to the disciples before the day of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell on, on those disciples and indwelt them. That's when the indwelling the Holy Spirit started. And a believer has the Holy Spirit living in him to guide him, help him, to teach him the truth, many, many things. And when you are saved, when you, when you have real salvation, you become a different person. You, are, you become a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 to 18 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He's a new creature. Now, what does that say? Think about this. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. If you've made a profession of faith, I'm, I'm going to be very plain here. If you've made a profession of faith, and you can still go do the same things you used to do, and it doesn't bother you, and, and you, don't, you just come to church for the fellowship or for, for the company or boost your life for the week, if you're not a new creature, you're not a Christian. That's what it says there. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. If God hasn't changed your goals and your direction and, and your purpose in life, you better examine where you're at. It says, the old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
as a believer in Christ, he's changed my life. He, the reconciliation means he did what it took to be friends with him again. That's what Jesus came and died for, my sin. That's what that's all about. And now that I'm reconciled, my job is to help other people understand that they can also be reconciled. They can also have a, a walk with God. Something we ought to be doing. And when you become a Christian, you also become part of a family, the body of Christ. This has been one of the most amazing things to me over my life. Is when I, I, I was with my grandfather one time. And he was, he was a, a, an agnostic. And we, we were in Chicago, Illinois, and we were, he picked me up at the airport. We had to catch the, a train, and then we had to catch a bus. And when we got to the bus station, uh, the guy was there early. And um, so we got on the bus. He was about 15 or 20 minutes early. So it was just my grandfather, me, and the, and the driver. The driver was reading Our Daily Bread. And it's a little devotional, Christian devotional. So I struck up a conversation with him. And, and I recognized him as a brother. And we, we shared, we fellowshiped, we had a close relationship on that bus. My grandfather was flabbergasted. He chewed me out for talking to a stranger. <laughs> and, and yet I, talk, I told him, he's a brother. He's a Christian. We have a relationship. He didn't understand that. He, he, by the way, he became a Christian when he was over 90 years old. And he had a horrible life. I could tell you, I could go on from here about my grandfather's life, the kind of life he was. He was not a good man. He was a horrible man. And yet God saved him in, later in life. So, you, but you become part of that body. And there's a lot in the scriptures about that. <clears throat> all, the, all this you can receive through God's promise of salvation to those who repent and believe. God is the one who prepared and accomplished all these things for us. Salvation is a great reality to be saved and given a new life. So now that I have that new life, how do I live? Are there any promises from God to help me live in this difficult world? Like I say, we, we live, and you guys amen it. We live in a difficult world today. It's hard to know how to react. It's hard to know how to live. It's hard to know, know how to, should I get the vaccination or not? Should I get mad about it? Should I wear a mask or not? Should I, should I argue with people about that? Those are the areas that God can help you in. And, and you can have peace in those areas and you don't have to obsess about them. I see a lot of people obsessing about silly things like that. So, what has God given us? Uh, Romans 8, 28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, we, we, that's one verse that sometimes we, we misquote. It. We just say all things work together for good. But that doesn't work for everybody. It says it's conditional. It says for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Have you ever thought... Why am I going through what I'm going through? Have you ever wondered about that? Have you ever asked that question, why me? If I ask everybody that asked that question, do you reckon everybody would raise their hand? I'm not going to put you on the spot. I've said that many times. Why me? God has a purpose even for the bad things. And the, and the end of those things for a Christian is good. 
I could I could tell stories. I don't want to take too long, but I could tell stories of things I went through with my parents when my parents passed away. The ability I had to witness to every single one of my family members, one-on-one, -on -one, face to face about spiritual things during that time of suffering while my father was dying. Uh, it worked out for good. I see the difference in my family and myself. And this promise is conditional. If you're a real Christian though, this means you. Whatever you're facing today, understand that God is working that with that in the end for your good. You're gonna learn things that you never learned. You're gonna be uh, come to the end of your own strength and, and discover the strength of God. You're going to go through a situation that God's going to use in somebody else's life when you say, I understand what you're going through. That's what that means. So this is one of the promises. It's good for our lives. Another one is knowledge of the truth. John 8, 31 and 32. Now, I'll, I'll quote the part of that that most people quote. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Well, that's a nice saying, isn't it? But it's conditional. Look at what the, the verse 31 says. So, G, uh, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So who is it that knows the truth, is going to know the truth? The disciple, the learner, the one who listens to the word, abides in the word of Christ. That's the one who will know the truth. And I'll tell you something, the more I study scripture, the more I understand why the politicians are doing what they're doing and why the country's going the way it's going and why people are angry and frustrated and what opportunities we have of reaching those people today who are frustrated and angry and don't know which way to turn and they're reaching out, they're crying out for recognition. We have the answer to those things. We have the gospel of Christ, which gives you peace, joy, all those great things that we have as Christians. We have an opportunity that's unprecedented right now of reaching the world. And are we taking advantage of that? Just asking the question. It, another thing that we get from, as a promise, is wisdom. Look at James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. We have an opportunity as a believer to ask God for wisdom. Are you facing a difficult situation? Ask God for wisdom. Understand that you can ask that trusting him to give, to give you that wisdom, and then just go on with your life and see what God can do. And you, you'll discover it's a true promise for you but again it's conditional you have to trust him uh, another promise is to grow spiritual fruit in your life but the, uh, Galatians 5 22 and 23 says but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control against such things there is no law and if you think about these things as positive things and think about what the negative side of those things is, a lot of us are living on the negative side of those things. Instead of love, we have hate. Instead of joy, we have, we have a, a difficult uh, ability to deal with anything. We're always miserable. Instead of peace, we, we have turmoil. 
This, this is what the world is like. Instead of patience, we want it right now. Instead of kindness, I'm going to get you back for what you did to me. All these things have a, have a negative side. But these are positive things that God has given us. And this is a promise. This is the fruit the, sp the Spirit has put in every believer's life. Uh, I, could, I could do a whole message on just the fruit of the Spirit, but I just want you to understand this is a fruit. It's not fruits. We, we often see it, the fruits of the Spirit. This is a package deal. Let me, let me ask you, since you've been a believer, don't you love in a different way than you used to? Don't you have joy when, where sometimes it surprises you that you have it? Don't you have peace sometimes when, when you shouldn't have peace and people recognize that? You see, th this is a package deal. We have these things at work in our lives. We can, we can look at them individually and that's okay. But it's a package deal. We have these things and we, we need to nurture these things in our lives. And God gives us that ability. It's the Spirit's fruit. It's not your fruit. It's what the Spirit puts in your life and changes your life. This, these are the things that change in your life when you're a new creation. And one of those things I want to look at is peace. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now there's a lot in that verse. That's another verse that you can make a whole message out of. Be anxious for what? Nothing. Are you anxious today about something? The Bible says be anxious for nothing. But it doesn't just leave it there. It doesn't just say do this and you know you can't do it. It says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Bring your anxiety to God and leave it there. And, and in my own experience, I don't have to pray over and over and over again for the same thing. I, I try to leave it with God. I say, God, this is what... This morning, I said, Lord, I'm going to be preaching today, and I just need your strength for that. And I left it at that. I didn't have to, I didn't have to uh, obsess about getting up here in front of a bunch of people and a camera and, and giving, a, giving a talk. The, uh, the Lord gave me the peace about that. But it says, let your request be made known of God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your mind. I love that, because your heart has to do with your emotions. And your mind has to do with your logic. And God will give you peace in both places. And it'll, it'll be a peace that it su surprises you and is beyond your comprehension. How can I have peace? And that's the thing that people notice, by the way. When they say, when they say that you have peace in, a, in an unpeaceful situation, they'll ask, where do you get your hope? How, how can you go through this the way, the way you're going through it? I'd, I'd react a lot different than you do. That's an opportunity to witness to people. Another thing that's a promise, and this, you're not going to like this one. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 13. We are promised that we will suffer. Now, do you like that one? You see, if, if I looked at the Bible as inspiring, that's one I'd just leave out. <laughs> but it's inspired word of God. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fire ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may re rejoice with exaltation. 
one of the promises of God is that you're going to face trouble. You're going to have trouble in your life. And that trouble has a purpose. It's for your testing. And the testing here doesn't mean a pass and fail. The test is, is like when you're testing gold with heat. You're purifying it. You're bringing out the gold. You're bringing out the right kinds of things. That's what testing does. It throws us on the mercy of God. It throws us off of our own abilities. Rec helps us recognize that we can't do this thing. And we have to have the Lord in our lives to help us with it. So uh, Jesus said, by the way, in John's gospel, that if he suffered in the world, we would also suffer. He said, if they're going to persecute me, they'll persecute you. And he told his disciples, and he tells us that we're, we're at odds with the world. Look at the 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. It says, Be sober. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, <clears throat> seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of what? Suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. See, there's a reason for suffering. It, it establishes us in the faith. It establishes us in our relationship with God. It helps us to face the world and, and helps us to empathize and not just sympathize. You know, I used to be an, uh, a sympathizer. I'm sorry for what you're going through, but I'm sure glad it's not me. Sorry for you. I sympathize with you. Empathy means I suffer along with you. I feel your pain. I really do. And I've been in that place myself where I've shed tears that weren't just for me. Before I, before I got to that point in my Christian life, I didn't cry for anybody but myself. And God took me through a deep suffering trial, and I learned how to empathize with people. We have, an, we have an enemy, and he's active, and he's around us, and he's going to bring that suffering into our lives. But it's part of the Christian life. Don't like it, but it's there. To finish up, God's given us a way to walk with him and experience his blessings and guidance, even though we're so messed up and prone to failure. He gives us his ability through the forgiveness he provides when we mess up and confess rather than cover up our sin. Remember that verse in Proverbs, that we cover our transgressions? That's what happens a lot in these days, isn't it? There's a lot of, we, we call them cover-ups. Somebody does wrong and they cover it up instead of confessing it. But when we, the, the great thing about God is when we confess, he, he forgives. First John chapter 1 verses 5 through 10 says, This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. I've known people like that. They say they know the Lord, but then you look at their lives and they're just, they don't know the Lord. It's obvious. You can be a fruit inspector, by the way. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
If we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Have you ever confronted your own sin in that way? You know, it's not asking for forgiveness. You know, I can say, and I've heard a lot in prayers, and I prayed it myself, Lord, just give me the sins I've, I've done this week. Just forgive me. That's not really confession. Confession is, is going before the judge and saying, I lied today, and I know it's wrong, and I throw myself on the mercy of the court. I did this thing. I confess it. It's real in my life. I need your help to overcome it. That's what confession is. There are many uh, more precious and magnificent promises in Scripture. Remember, there's 5,467 of them. The only way to benefit from them is to abide in his word. There are promises concerning strength for the weary, his God's unfailing love, a place in heaven for us, our needs being supplied, spiritual armor for our protection. There's lots and lots of promises in the Bible. But the only way to benefit is to abide in his word. Read the Bible, study the Bible. It's up to you to search out his treasures and you can live the life that God has in mind for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great and precious promises and how marvelous you are to, to give us all these things. Thank you for salvation. I pray if there's anyone here, Lord, that, that uh, needs to uh, put, turn his life over to you and, and know how to trust you, Lord, I just pray you might put in their heart to be able to do that. Provide a means for them, Father, to have a relationship with you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for all it, all it means and all the change in my life, Father. I thank you so much for what you've done in my life and the walk that I have today. Thank you for all those blessings. And just give you praise and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.